Hey, I, I want to tell you, uh, we're going to be doing a child dedication on Mother's Day here. And what that is, it's a very cool time. It's a privilege as a pastor to be able to pray with parents over their short people. We, we baptize... <laughs> what? What I say? Short people? Well, that's what they are. I'm so funny, I don't even know when I'm funny. Man, it's good to be me. <laughs> Okay, they're small people. I don't know. Uh, anyway, we, we, we start baptizing people around here at age 12. And our reason for that is we really want a person to be at that place in their life where they can appreciate what's going on and, and do it. And, uh, but before that, we like to dedicate children to the Lord. So if you're a parent here and, you know, you'd like to be a part of that, I've got a short meeting I'll do with you next Sunday night. I don't know what time it is. It's whatever it says in the bulletin. But come to that. And uh, we'll just go through why it is we're doing talk about the circumstances and, you know, talk to you about if this is a good thing for you to be doing right now or whatever. And then the next week, we'll just have a, a fantastic, a brief part of the service, but a very important part of the service. So I wanted to tell you about that. Also, this Tuesday night, I'm going to be teaching the last class in the Discipleship Training 200 level, which is now our prayer ministry training. So what we've done is... What we did for many years as a separate seminar, prayer ministry training, we've enfolded into DT 200. So if you're a person here today and you'd like to come Tuesday night and go through the prayer ministry training or like to go through it again, uh, and would you, if you'd like to be eligible to be one of these people that comes up and prays for others, we'd like you to go through that so that you can have a sense of what it is we're doing here and kind of the way we do things. And so uh, come this Tuesday night at 7. It's about a two-hour class, and you'll be out around 9. And uh, I don't think you'll regret it. How many of you have taken prayer ministry training? Raise your hand. Was it good? Okay, well, I expect a little more than that, but it's okay. (laughs) I'm also going to be a week from then starting up discipleship training 300. So for those of you who have completed 200 and maybe fell off the turnip truck there and want to get back on, was that funny, turnip truck? That's just the way I think. Uh, That wasn't funny, was it? And uh, you could jump in on that 300. That's a really nice level. It's really where we help you discover your uniqueness as a child of God and how you connect with God according to your own temperament. Because we're not, I don't know if you noticed this, but we're not all the same. That's one of the beauties. And we're not trying to make people all the same here. We're just trying to get you in touch with the uniqueness of you. Okay. Hey, well, we've been visiting some mountaintops lately. This has turned out better than I thought it was going to. Frankly, when the Lord stirred in my heart, visit the mountaintops, I'm like, geography, really, Lord? And, and it, I wasn't entirely excited about it, although it was confirmed with a prophetic word and stuff. It's been very cool. I think the Lord has really blessed us in being faithful to this. And we've been on a couple of, a few mountaintops so far. The first week we looked at Mount Moriah and visiting that mountaintop where Abraham was obedient and nearly sacrificing his own son Isaac. And we came away with a treasure as we have from each mountaintop. And the treasure was this, simply that there's always blessing on the other side of obedience. When God is calling us to something, when, even if it's a hard, maybe especially when it's a hard thing, when God is calling us toward something, he's calling us toward himself. And so when we obey the things that God puts in front of us to do, when we walk through that door, we're walking closer to him. The more closely we walk with him, the more blessed our lives automatically are. We live a life of blessing because we're living it in the proximity of the Lord. The second week, we looked at Mount Sinai where God gave the Ten Commandments to Moses. And from that, we saw the treasure we took away from there is that God delights in bringing order out of chaos. That the people of Israel were living in chaos. And God brought order to their lives 
in the giving of the Ten Commandments. And God delights in bringing order out of our chaos. The devil traffics in chaos, doesn't he? He traffics in relational chaos, in emotional, mental chaos, all kinds of chaos. He traffics in that. Bring it to the Lord. How many of you, like me, sometimes feel that's all you have to bring to the Lord on a given day is like your chaos? It's like, ah, here, do it. Bring it, and he'll bring order out of your chaos. Last week, we were on Mount Nebo when Moses was shown the vision of the promised land, and from that, we walked away with this treasure that God desires to lead every authentic believer every single authentic believer through a clear and compelling sense of vision. God has a plan for your life, Ephesians 2.10. He has a plan for your life. It's not just for the trained professionals. It's not just for the prophets. It's not like it was in the Old Testament. But God has a vision for your life. He says, I pour out my spirit on all flesh. And uh, it's such such a cool thing just to be living your life out as a daily walk of your understanding of the vision of God for your life and then the progressive revelation of that, as each time you take a step, there's another step in front of it. So that's where we are so far. Today I'd like for us to climb Mount Carmel and see what treasure's at the top of that. I love it. That just sounds like a fun mountain to climb, just because it sounds like you can eat on the way up, right? <laughs> and it's really not Mount Caramel. It's Mount Carmel. It's a little bit different. And I actually put some caramel down in the corner of this, just to clarify in everybody's mind, this isn't like the Big Rock Candy Mountain or something, but... It was actually a place called Mount Carmel, not Caramel or Caramel, some say. Some, some pronounce it even Carmel, like Carmel by the sea. Wasn't that a town where like Clint Eastwood was the mayor or something for a while? Probably don't want to speed in that town, do you? Go ahead and make his day or whatever. But anyway, it's Mount Carmel. We have Mount Carmel Hospital right here in Columbus, do we not? Okay, so there's something about this biblical reference that's critically important. Um, what happened is that there was a showdown between one very, very exciting prophet whose name was, anybody know? Elijah. When you say Elijah, you've got to say it like you mean it because this guy was on. Yeah, that's how you say Elijah. This guy was on. And, uh, and he took on a mere 450 prophets of Baal just to show whose God was real. You know, he called 450 prophets of Baal because he wanted to make it a fair fight, Right? And so that's some very cool thing happened there. If you want to read about it, you can read about it in 1 Kings chapter 18. I'm going to put it up on the screen here for you. There you go. Clear so far? <laughs> it's, I only work one day a week. I sit around and wait for you guys to show up. So I've got to do something with that time. Let me give you some background on this scripture. The king over Israel is Ahab. His wife is Jezebel. This is tough time. The Bible introduces Ahab by saying this, that Ahab became king of Israel, and he did more evil in the sight of the Lord than all the kings before him. That's not a good description. And he had this wife, Jezebel, who was really troubled. I mean, she was caught in a whole program of evil. And her intention was was to try to replace Yahweh, Jehovah, the one true God, with Baal with Baal. See, it was, it was the cultural condition that whoever was in power, not among the Jews per se, but uh, the surrounding peoples, whoever was in power chose which deity they would worship. And so because, you know, these kings all descended uh, along the order of Yahweh, of God, of the one true living God, Jehovah, then they worshiped him or not in some way. But Jezebel saw her opportunity make a political move here and say, we're going to abandon this Yahweh and we're going to worship Baal. 
She's a very, very, very influential woman, obviously. And some bad stuff happened. Well, what God does, he raises up Elijah, and uh, he raises up Elijah, and he drops him in there. And Elijah says, what you're doing is wrong. You are destroying Israel by this. What you're doing is wrong. And he says, I'll tell you what, because I say so, it's not going to rain in this land until I say so again. It's not going to. And so this drought ensued. This drought had ensued. Three years hadn't rained. Not a drop had fallen from the sky in Palestine. Got to be rough. Got to be dry when it doesn't rain there, right? And not a drop had fallen from the sky. And so that's where we pick this up. Because what happens then is Elijah, he has this trusted friend named Obadiah. And Obadiah was um, like a prime minister to Ahab. So he was like the sort of a, you know, he, he was the one who did all the stuff. Ahab, Ahab came up with the plans and he was, a, he was a, a partner to Ahab. Except Obadiah was sympathetic toward the prophets of Yahweh. So that he actually protected some of them. He kept them secretly. So he in his heart still knew there was only one true God. So with this, then Elijah, who'd been in hiding for three years at the instruction of the Lord, because, see, when the Lord told him to tell this to Ahab, he took off, not because he was afraid, but because the Lord said, take off. And he took off, and the Bible says he stayed in this secret place where he was fed. He was fed by ravens, right? That's cool. Fed by. I'm not exactly sure what a raven brings you for lunch, I don't know what roadkill they bring in, but, you know, uh, I, I don't think it was like a Tim Hortons bag in its mouth or anything, but ravens brought food consistently to Elijah, and there was a little stream of water there for him to drink. And so, but the, the, the truth is, I don't know if I've ever mentioned this before, but there's always blessing on the other side of obedience. Have I ever said that to you before? That when you obey God, God will bless. He'll take care of you. Now, he wasn't living in a mansion. Don't, don't get this all worked up in your mind about what the blessing is. God still gets to decide what the blessing is. And in this case, it was roadkill and a little water. But somebody between services said maybe he ate the raven. Said he was fed by ravens. So maybe God appointed him and said, walk over next to that guy. And, you know, he had himself a little barbecue every day. I don't know, but he, he, fed, he was fed. And so he's living in this place for three years. And God finally says, okay, now it's time to go back. The destruction of Israel, they've just followed after other gods. It's time to go back and show them who's God. I'll do this. And so he summons his friend Obadiah, and he says, hey, Obadiah, I want you to tell Ahab I want to meet with him. Obadiah says, please do not put me in the middle of this. Do not put me between you and Ahab. And he says, because I know what's going to happen, Elijah. I'm going to go tell him, and you're going to take off, and then Ahab's going to cut my head off. And Ahab said, or Elijah says, I'll tell you what. You tell him, I promise I'll show up. I promise I'll show up. So here's where we pick it up. I'm not going to read the whole thing. I'll just talk through it. Verse 16. You can see it right there. So, you have to start on this side, actually. So, so Obadiah went to meet Ahab and told him, and Ahab went to meet Elijah. And when he saw Elijah, he said to him, Is that you, you troubler of Israel? That's probably not a good start. Is that you, you troubler of Israel? Elijah says, oh, I haven't made trouble for Israel. I'm not the one making trouble for Israel here. I'm not the one who's abandoning God. The trouble that's on Israel right now is not because of me, Ahab. It's because of you. You've abandoned the word of God. You've abandoned the true and living God. 
And you've let this wife of yours bring the prophets of Baal and the prophets of Asherah to her table. You're the one who's made this trouble. And he said, I'll tell you what. It's time that the people of Israel had the opportunity to decide who is God. And he said, I want you to send it out through a whole land. We're going to meet on Mount Carmel, and we're going, to, we're going to see whose God is the real God. And he said, I want you to bring 450 prophets of Baal. Again, that was just to make it a fair fight. There will be one of me, 450 of them. Bring them. And so they put it out through the whole land. They said, you're confused. He said, you're confused. The whole nation is confused. The nation is telling you that there's one true God, and then the nation is telling you there's another true God. Sound familiar? So the nation is confused. The nation has lost its way. The nation that once knew there was one true God is now confused. And he said, I want to show you beyond any doubt. You'll be able to choose for yourself who the true God is. So they went to this place, Mount Carmel. And uh, what happened was Elijah said, all right, we're going to we're going to sacrifice two bulls, and we're going to see who God shows up. He let, he let the prophets of, of Baal even pick the bull. Go ahead. You guys go first. They cut this thing up, and they made their, their altar with dry wood and everything. Remember, it hadn't rained in three years. This is dry. And he said, the only thing you can do is set a match to it. You can do anything you want, but you can't set a match to it. Because if your God is who you say your God is, he will be able to consume that. Baal was depicted often as having lightning bolts in his hand. He said, this should be no problem for him. So go ahead. So they did. And they got it all ready. Dry, dry, dry. Newspaper everywhere. Dry. Just the way. And they start calling Baal. Baal, Baal, come. The Bible says that they called and they yelled. They lamented. It says they rolled around. They danced around. They cut themselves. God, oh, Baal, come. Here's your chance. 450 of them calling out. Nothing, nothing, nothing. Elijah steps up, and he says, hey, shout louder. Surely he is God. Perhaps he's deep in thought or busy or traveling Maybe he's sleeping and must be awakened. I love it that there's sarcasm in the Bible, don't you? I mean, it just sort of substantiates so much about my life to be able to see this. I'm just being biblical, people. I think it's important to know that the subject of his taunts was taken right from the tradition of the Baal worshipers. These weren't just pulled out of the air. But these taunts that he made were things that the worshipers of Baal had literature about, about him doing. There was another goddess who came to visit him, and he wasn't available because he was out hunting. So he was traveling in some, and sometimes he was thinking, couldn't be disturbed. Sometimes he was busy. Other times he was sleeping. So he wasn't just pulling this stuff out of the air. He was saying, if your God is the God that all of your literature says, then then he should come. Or maybe this is one of those times when he's traveling. Just to put it in context, be like somebody taunting you. Where's your God? Is he out healing someone right now? Can't be bothered. 
cleansing some lepers maybe. Maybe he's dying on a cross for you. Maybe he's rising from the tomb. Who knows? Where is he? That's that's, that's in context. He's like, if your God is God, let him fulfill the things you say about him right now. And he didn't come. And he didn't come. And he didn't come. Then Elijah said, verse 30, said to all the people, come here to me. I'm going to show you the true and living God. It says that he rebuilt the altar because all Jezebel had destroyed all the altars of Yahweh, all the altars of Jehovah throughout the land. He rebuilt the altar, 12 stones. The stones were there. They were just in shambles, likely. And so he made it in front of all the people. And he, he put the wood on it. He put the bull on it, cut the bull up. And then he goes, let's make this interesting. And he digs a trench around it. He says to his servants, go get some water. I think it's cool that Elijah had servants. I'm just saying. (laughs) Wow, that was out there. He says, uh, hey, let's make, you guys go get some water. Go get some water. We're in a drought. Hasn't rained for three years. You want me to get water? The people are dying. People are dying. Because they have no water? You want me to go get water to do what? Oh, we're going to pour it on this thing. He said once. Twice. His third time, go get some more water. And he steps back. And he calls on the name of God, Yahweh, the true God, the one true God. Whoop! Fire comes. Sets this thing on fire. Burns it. Burns the altar to the ground. It said it burnt the soil. It licked up the water in the trenches. And the people say, huh, how about that? And God came and his manifest presence persuaded the people that he was the true and living God. Ahab wasn't persuaded. Listen, deception can be very deep. The lie can be very strong. So this amazing thing happened. That's the part of the story I want you to think about. And as we look at, so what's the treasure? What do we get? What do we walk away from this mountain with as we've walked away from every mountain? And I think, first of all, I want you to make some notable observations about Elijah himself. And first of all, notice that Elijah lived under the particular favor of the Lord. He lived under the favor of the Lord. I mean, there was a time when he, maybe you know about this widow and her son, had just a little bit of bread and oil left. They were all going to die in the midst of this drought, this famine. And God sent Elijah to her and said, Hey, would you make me something to eat? She says, how can I make you something to eat? All I have is this little bit. It's enough for my son and myself. We're going to eat and we're going to die. How can... He says, you make it for me. And she did. And then every time, maybe you know this. If you got to this part yet, it's, the Bible is so cool. She goes back to this place where the flour and the oil is. And every time she goes back, there's enough for more. There's enough for more. There's enough for more. There's enough for every day. She uses the rest of it and there's enough for more. Oh, did I ever mention to you that there's always blessing on the other side of obedience? Have I ever brought that up? Obey God. There's always blessing on the other side of obedience. The Bible's consistent. 
And so he lived under this, and this son actually died at one point, and Elijah raised him from the dead. That was a big day. So he lived under this favor of the Lord. This was the Old Testament paradigm, that there were certain people who had this favor of the Lord. Prophets, priests, kings, patriarchs. Okay, But the good news that we discovered last week, it's all done now. Curtain of the temple has been torn in two. Hebrews 10 says that we have equal access to God, that God is pouring out His Spirit on all flesh. So what looks like an exception and a model in the Old Testament is meant to be the example to which we aspire in the New Testament. You're meant to live under this favor. But I should tell you the second thing is that Elijah suffered greatly because the favor of the Lord was on him. Elijah suffered greatly because the favor of the Lord was on him. Just in case you think, boy, when the favor of the Lord's on me, everything's going to be grand. It was because the favor of the Lord was on Elijah that he lived in a cave eating roadkill for three years. It was because the favor of the Lord was on him. Was it worth it? Absolutely. But I'm just saying, when you're facing things, you're facing things, this, I must be doing something wrong. You're probably doing something exactly right. The favor of the Lord, when the favor of the Lord's on you, everybody isn't happy about that. Least of all the enemy. You know, you know what Elijah's name meant as a word? My God is Yahweh. His name was literally translated, my God, Eli, like Elohim, Eli, is Yahweh, Yah, Elijah, Eliah, Eliah, right? Eliah, Elijah, my God is Yahweh. So anytime anybody asks him his name, what's your name? My God is Yahweh. Jezebel, what's your name? My God is Yahweh. What's your name? My God is Yahweh. I heard that. What's your name? My God is Yahweh. People would come and talk to Jezebel about him. You know about my God is Yahweh? And it was like nails on a chalkboard in her ears. Let me, let me just give you a word of warning. You're living under the favor of the Lord. You're spattered by the blood of the king. Then your name in certain parts of the reality, the spiritual reality, is like nails on a chalkboard. The good news is, there is no weapon formed against you which can prosper. That he doesn't have it. That when you come in the name of the Lord, when you live under the favor of the Lord, you have exponentially more power than anything the enemy can bring. The only thing he can really bring to your plate is fear. Have you been afraid lately? Yeah? Must be doing something right. The other thing I want you to note about Elijah, then we'll look at the treasure, is that the record of Elijah reflects a very long period of time. Why does this matter? Well, I mean, if you just look at 1 Kings 18, verse 1, it says, After a long time, in the third year, the word of the Lord came to Elijah, go and present yourself to Ahab. Here's why I wanted to mention this. It's not an uncommon conversation anymore for people to come to me and say some version of this. You know, Tom, I hear you talking about hearing the voice of the Lord. I hear you talking about that. And I want that, but I, 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 don't, I don't have it. I hear you say you're stirred and you know it's the Lord and you say these things. And like, I, I want to experience that, but it's not happening. It's not happening. It's not happening. And my question is always the same. How long have you been at it? Well, it's, it's, it's new. I, I just, <laughs> just want it now. I've understood Jesus 
in some form or another to be my savior for 40 years. I know, I don't look that old. <laughs> Actually, I do. 40 years. About 30 of that 40, I've been pressing hard to hear the voice of God. I've been pressing hard. I mean, I've spent hours in lonely places fasting and praying and saying, God. And the first many years were fruitless. But I was determined. I'd read the Bible. People talk, God talked to people in the Bible. I'd read church history. God talked to people through church history. What's the matter with me? Why couldn't you speak to me? And I just lived a life where I was basically locking myself in solitude whenever I could and just staring for God. And then after some years, it was like, what was that? <laughs> it was like there was a sound in a different place inside. It wasn't my mind. It wasn't my imagination. It's a different place. But I want to encourage you with these words. Stay with it. I had a lot of undoing that needed done before I could be trusted with the word of the Lord. I'm really glad he didn't speak any earlier than he did because I would have done some stupider things. <laughs> Let God work your character. So you get up in the morning, you go, why am I praying these prayers? Why am I praying these prayers? Is anybody listening? Somebody's listening. You keep praying those prayers. Keep giving your heart and your ears to God. He'll speak. The Bible promises. John 10, 27, he promises. Jeremiah 33, 3, he promises. He'll speak. Tell you great and unsearchable things you don't know. 1 Corinthians 2, 9 and 10, he promises. It's not my word. It's his word. Okay, that was free. So let's get the, let's get the principle. Let's get the treasure. Oh, my, yes. Let's get the treasure. You realize that in mining for the treasures on these mountains that it's about the principle of the thing and not the detail of the thing. Like the treasure of Mount Carmel is not how can you call fire from heaven on people you don't like. You know, that's not, that's not what we're going for here, right? Although it would be convenient at times, wouldn't it? 270, somebody cuts you off. Poof. You're sitting there in your annual review, you know, your boss is sitting there. Well, here's where we need you to improve. That'd be nice. Don't tell me you teenagers in here have not been so mad at your parents at some time. You better watch Home Alone before you do that. What is the treasure of Mount Carmel? treasure of Mount Carmel is simply this. God will always be there when you need him. God will always be there when you need him. Elijah needed God to be there, and God was there. And the treasure of Mount Carmel is that God will always be there when you need him. There is no exception to it. God will always, let's try it again. God will always, God will always be there when you need him. This is the truth of the scripture. The God who said, I'll never leave you or forsake you. 
And this is really what, we're, what we take away from this mountain. The treasure, the treasure of Mount Carmel wasn't so much that it was a demonstration of God's power, but that it was a manifestation of God's presence. His power came because His presence came. It's not the power of God that we seek, that we crave. It's the presence of God. It's a discernible experience of the presence of God through the power of His Holy Spirit. If we seek the power, we get sidetracked. It becomes a circus. If we seek the presence, it becomes a relationship. And Elijah experienced the presence of God that day. As did the thousands who had gathered to come and watch. And the prevailing conditions which precipitated the amazing manifestation of God's presence were three. Elijah was in desperate need. He was in desperate need. He needed God to come. The second one was that Elijah had allowed himself to be in a position of great risk. If, if God didn't come, he was going to lose his head. He was going to die. Great risk. John Wimber used to say, how do you spell faith? R-I-S-K. Want to see more demonstration of the power of God? More experience of the manifest presence of God? Risk. Put yourself in positions that are out on the limb. God has to show up. And then the third thing is that Elijah had been faithful in prayer for the previous three years. He had prayed every day. It's the same thing. Every day wasn't Mount Carmel Day, but he prayed, and he prayed, and he prayed, and he prayed, and he prayed. And God will always be there when you need him. It was not not really the power of God that we crave, it's the presence. And some of you go, why would God want to visit me? Why would God want to come? Why would God? Because you're his son, that's why. Because you're his daughter. You know Christ? You know Jesus? The Bible says in John 1.12, Yet to all who received him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become the children of God. Why would God want to come to you? In your pile? Because you're his son. Embrace that. Everything changes. There's nothing to prove anymore. Your daughter through the blood of Jesus. God will always be there when you need Him. Father, we just bow now and wait on you, wait for you to come and in, in, in the presence, Lord. It's your presence that we seek. We know that when you come, you bring whatever it is that we need, and so we just bow now. And we just ask you to come. And I know everybody's in a little bit of a different place with how we even know when you're here, Lord. And I respect that, Lord. I respect that everybody's got a little different wiring, a little different way of connecting with you. But I just freely proclaim here, Lord, that, that you're here and you're meant to be experienced by every seeking heart. And so I pray now, Father, that as we take this this time in our weekly gathering to give you some some space to speak and move and do whatever you want, we we bow. We just ask you, Lord, to come. 
show us the power of your presence. Come, Lord, come, Lord. We're just going to wait on you, open our hearts. Just open our hearts. We have needs, Lord, and you know what every one of them is. You know about each of them, and you care about each of them. I know this from your word and from from the walk with you. And so I just pray now, every person here would be able to somehow get some sense of your presence, your love as their Heavenly Father. Come now, Lord, we pray now. In the name of Jesus.